and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Just, the UK's first enforcement market integrator, and Aram, which has been helping organisations to prevent and resolve problem debt for over 25 years, with me, your host, Steve Coppard. It's time to grab a cuppa as we give credit where credit's due to our expert guests. For this episode, I spoke to Mark Francis from Debt Managers in New Zealand. Following a number of conversations on LinkedIn, Mark and I met up in the summer of 2023 when he was in the UK on holiday and we spoke about all things debt for over five hours straight. Everything from machine learning, dynamic next best action codes, the evolving role of generative AI, to regulation, compliance and good conduct. Mark is one of the leading voices in the debt conversation in New Zealand right now, pressing for better treatment of those in debt and an industry code of practice amongst other things. I took the opportunity to ask Mark what it is about the industry that keeps him awake at night. Let's dive straight into the podcast and hear about Mark's expertise in this area. So, Mark. Yeah, good morning from Auckland in New Zealand, Steve. It's early in the morning here, 6.45, so thanks for having me. My name's Mark Francis. I'm the Executive General Manager of a company called Debt Managers. We're New Zealand's largest debt purchasing company, and as I said, we're based in Auckland, New Zealand. I I get asked a bit, you know, what is your mission? What do you do apart from buy debt and collect debt? And we've we've established that it's our mission to create a fairer financial world where where everyone thrives. And, you know, what what does that mean? It means we want to manage difficult debt with people and give Kiwis a chance to feel financial certainty and confidence. So through the execution of what we do, we want to help people positively transform. Right, that, that, that makes a, a lot of sense, Mark. So given that I'm a debt head from the UK and you're a debt head from New Zealand, do you want to just give the listeners a brief history of how we know each other and why we sat here on opposite sides of the world talking about the same thing? Yeah, yeah, I will. And, and also let them know that, you know, uh, I do make contact with you a bit for a bit of advice and, you know, either with yourself or with Aaron, you know, I'm trying to learn about the landscape in the UK. You you know, here in New Zealand, it'd be fair to say that we're behind the UK in a lot of our thinking, a lot of the developing processes around such simple things for you as vulnerability awareness. And and I I knew that the UK was progressive in this thinking, and and you were already doing the things I was trying to think about and articulate. So, you know, I I looked to England for for learning opportunities. Talking to yourself online through LinkedIn, it it was obvious that there was synergies with you and with Aaron, went online and I understood Aaron was working with big clients here in Australia. Looked at one of the cornerstones for Aaron was customer treatment. Spoke to you, linked up, and it's been great. I mean, debt recovery is an important part of the financial world and you and I are um, very happy to be part of its maturity process, I, I guess you'd say. As we mature, yeah, com- com- completely agree, and and it's it's been it's been fascinating for me as well talking to you and finding out some of the stuff that you do well at the same time where where we can also learn. So you mentioned some of the issues that New Zealand's facing. Talk to me a little bit about debt management o- over there. What are the issues? What keeps you awake at night? Yeah, good good question. I, I think what keeps me awake at night, well, a lot of things really. Um, but if, if I was going to say that there's you know three or four main things that I spend a lot of time 
thinking about and, and talking to people about. One, and if, if you follow the media here in New Zealand, you'll see we, we don't have a specific code of practice for our industry in New Zealand. You know, and I've been banging on that I think we're remiss in that. Two, and this is a bit more sort of vague, and it's more than just semantics. It's about the language that we hear in New Zealand use relating to debt and people that owe money. It's literally stuck in the last century. And, and you could say, well, why is language important? And language is vitally important. I mean, I, I actually Googled something the other day about language and, and it said, and I've written the quote down actually, it says that language alters what we remember, how we perceive ourselves and others, how we feel, how others feel, and it impacts the decisions we make. So, you know, if, if we're here using language that's driving behavior, that's old-fashioned. We need to change it. Another thing that sort of is a stumbling block for me or something that I can't quite get right is I want to get a better understanding of why our customers won't engage with more financial mentors. I'm, I'm not sure of your word, but a financial mentor is generally government-funded and helps people get back on their feet. And You'd know, as a debt head, I love that. Uh, you'd know and I know that they do a great job, but you've just got to get people there. And, and I, I, I struggle with that. The other thing that I, I sort of keeps me awake at night is in all amongst this, and, you know, I don't want it to be too contentious, but in all amongst this, we also need to talk about personal responsibility when we talk about debt. And I think sometimes we forget that. You, you know, I'd be happy to share thoughts on that later if, if, if you want. But that might be my ongoing top four that I uh, stare at the ceiling at two in the morning worrying about. Look, if it makes you feel any better, Mark, they all sound very familiar to me. And yeah. Yeah. And thinking about developments in the UK over the last couple of decades, it'd be, be interesting to hear how that's manifesting itself elsewhere in the world. So should, should we start with a, a little bit of a deeper dive into the code of practice issue then? Yeah. For your audience in the UK, it'd be interesting for them to know that this is something that I'm in the media a lot, a lot here about. And I'm I'm, I'm trying to cobble groups of people first to see that it's an important issue, but B, then what are we going to do about it? So for the last two years, uh, I've been cobbling, and I'll talk to you about what the positive results of that is uh, shortly. So a, a code of practice for the debt recovery industry in New Zealand, we just don't have one. And, you know, I've got, I've got a saying that, uh, you know, oxygen expands in a vacuum. And I'd say in the absence of a code, there's reportedly behaviours in the industry that, you know, they're unacceptable or old-fashioned. And we both know that, you know, these sorts of behaviours can hurt people. Not I'm not talking about the old-fashioned hurting the people. I'm talking about, you know, hurt people financially, spiritually, emotionally. You and I have talked about impacts on mental health. And, and it's my argument that a lack of code causes behaviours that has negative impacts. A report in New Zealand last year by Victoria Stace entitled Debt Collection in Aotearoa from a Perspective of Financial Mentors. Aotearoa is, is what we refer to as New Zealand. Uh, it clearly showed and apparently concurred that we did need a specific set of guidelines. What is best practice? Not just for me as a commercial entity, but for the government. Everybody's sort of doing their own thing. And at the moment, everybody interprets the Australian set of regulations. And I just think it's not really satisfactory. We don't interpret Australian building code or UK building code. So why are we why are we bastardising something that's not designed for us and doesn't understand the challenges we have? There was even in the, in the media a couple of weeks ago that the government 
collection departments aren't even cognizant of some of the basics as recognising economic abuse, debt that comes out of domestic violence. So we need one. And I think if we agree with the report by Stace on the behaviour of debt collectors, then this unregulated self-interpretation model's not working. Things even like, what's a contact attempt? Is it if the phone goes once? Is it if it goes 10 times? If it leaves a message? I mean, and these all have significant outcomes. You, you know, it's a good customer with difficult debt that's not being protected by a code, I think it's an issue. What else? The licensing of debt collectors. We're not licensed. I'm not sure. Are you guys licensed? We are in in terms of the folks who go out and and visit people on the doorstep. Um, but we are a completely different sector before that. But our, our debt advice um, agencies, so your 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 financial mentors, they have to be authorised by the Financial Conduct Authority, which is our regulator on that side. And then it's it's not not so much licensed as so far as uh, enforcement agents, bailiffs have to go and. Stand, stand before the court once every couple of years and go under, go undertake a fit and proper person test to make sure they're up to date with all the regulations, that sort of thing. Which we know is intuitively right, I guess. But so, so we're not licensed. And I actually have an email from the owner of one of New Zealand's biggest collection companies telling me that licensing would simply add another layer of cost you know so it's therefore not the answer to keep the rat bags out and this is where we are we're stuck with this thinking and we know that any industry that has carefully thought out regulations you know related to the tasks policies and execution of duties creates safety creates best practice and, and regulation when inclusive and i'd argue has been built and developed by all interested stakeholders so there's not unintended consequences it excels industries into excellence and i think where i'm coming from is i'm i want to we want to debt managers wants to drive the industry into excellence. And I, I think we're obligated to do it. Uh, my, my caveat on this is the Financial Services Federation have done a great job. They've come out with a, a document that isn't a code of conduct as such. But, you know, I am on record as saying I think there's more to do than what that document offers. Does that sort of explain where, where we're at? You can tell that I, I really want this. Yeah, no, look, it, it does, Mark. And there's there's an awful lot in there that resonates. So our, our trade body in the UK that covers, like, like I said the, the remote collections bit so just letters phone calls and and messages stopping short of doorstep visits so they implemented a code of practice that's all, almost universally adopted and our regulator then went further first through the principles-based approach of treating customers fairly which is a, a a thing here it's got three pillars of making sure that repayments are affordable making sure we identify vulnerability in a timely manner and signposting to free debt advice and then more recently yeah it launched what's called the consumer duty which places an onus on firms to ensure good outcomes at every step of the customer journey so not just fair anymore but good and for the folks who do the in-person collections so your 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 kind of your field agents it's enforcement agents over here used to be called bailiffs anyway like i said they go into court every couple of years to make sure that they they know what they're doing and i i guess i'd argue that that additional layer of costs you've probably already got it built into the process through through waste through not doing the job properly first time and actually by by driving the, the industry into excellence you get much better outcomes in every single case than you would if, if you don't take on and so it may be an upfront cost but in the long term I, I guess you'd save money and we we have a similar code of practice that's been issued by the trade body relating to the, the field agents the enforcement agents over here and what what you call the, the rat bags oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go for the odd rogue agent or company uh, because they do exist right so, so 
So let's let's not pretend that they don't. But the UK enforcement market, in partnership with the debt advice sector, so your financial mentors, has set up at the moment a, a quasi-regulator. So so the industry itself has set up a quasi-regulator, which we hope is going to get statutory footing within the next sort of year, eighteen months. So even though even though we may have some things, you know, in in a in a better shape, we still recognise that there's there's work to do, and actually because we've seen it in other pockets of the industry, we recognise the value of actually doing that as well. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's just why wouldn't we all want to work in a uh, you know something that's all buttoned up and and is aligned with the values of our vendors and the communities we work in. So so what I've done is is because I'm am, I'm extremely passionate about this. I've actually organised a hui, which is a, a small conference at our cost, and we got we've invited financial mentors, community law officers, regulatory bodies, some of our clients, and I've even invited some of our customers because nobody understands the system better than someone that's been through it. And and, and we're going to sit in a room and we're going to scope out what best practice looks like. Um, Because, you know, it's as simple as saying, what is contact frequency? What should it be? Should we be able to call from a block number? Perhaps no. And so we'll land on best practice. And I I guess I have frustration because I sort of think that the government should be driving this or at least the NGO responsible for the overseeing of financial mentors. But, you know, in my words, they're asleep at the wheel. But then I think once we land on what you refer to as good, what is fair and what we think will cause a less stress for our customers, we're going to implement it. The truth is we implement most of it anyway. But if it's fine-tuned with people that do have an opinion and a valued opinion, we'll be able to say, that we're delivering the best outcomes to all stakeholders, which, you know, is my job. At the very least, is my job. But it's also my duty, I guess, as just as a person in the community. Yeah, and I, I think that, co- that co-creation point is such an important point that often gets missed. You know, bringing, bringing in people who interact with that process at every step of the process, that has to include the people whom are subject to the process, the customers. Because you, you can sit in, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say ivory towers, but you can sit in an office somewhere and design a process that you think looks absolutely brilliant, but actually from a customer's perspective, it's just fraught with sludge and, and difficulty. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, and we've probably all done it. You know, you, you and I have been around long enough. We've probably all done it and thought, this is best practice. You know, once upon a time, we wouldn't have had the thinking to go and ask the end user, the customer, hey, how did that feel? And that's something we're really good at doing now, good at attempting to do and we learn. And when we ask our customers after, what was the process like? And you fine-tune to make it easier. And commercially, shouldn't it be an easy transaction? Well, it, it results in fewer people dropping out of maybe a digital process and into your contact centres, which costs you more. Yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, yeah. that's that's my, my code discussions are sort of where I'm at. And, you know, I'll keep you posted because, you know, and I thank you and Aaron for helping me craft, uh, you know, some of my thinking on that. Great stuff. Um, you know, we're, we're really, really just interested in seeing the best outcome balance between customer and client. Look, I, I think next on your list was language. This is a this is a real personal bugbear for me. Um, so instead of getting on my soapbox, I'm going to remember that this is a platform for you to tell me what's going on and I'll, I'll chip in afterwards. But what, what's What's your take on it then, the, the, the language issue? Look, look, like I, like I said in, in the intro, we as an industry, I think, are still stuck last century, literally in the 90s. And, you know, if we believe the, the statement I made earlier that language has a direct influence on what you think and how you behave, then it's important. So for us, you know, creditors defining customers who can't pay as delinquent or bad, you, you know, there's power, power in that and, and danger in that bad language. They're still a good customer. They're not delinquent. They're not bad. They're just a good customer that can't pay. Uh, you know, good customers with difficult debt should still be viewed as good customers, would be my argument. Look, look, people develop debt because of life. 
marital breakdown, illness, redundancy, job loss. You, you know this. Most of the people we've dealt with in our lives are just good people that have had bad deaths. So we should still use language that identifies that. You know, I have to tell you, when we rebranded to debt managers in January 2022, one of the biggest internal debates was my wish to change the name of our customer internally from debtor, which I've used for 30 years, to customer. It might sound like semantics, but the conversations were huge. And you're smiling when I'm talking to you because you understand this, you know. In, in simple terms, the debtor is a simplistic name. It allows clarification between the person who owes the debt and the person who's owed the creditor, right? But we believe there was a judgmental connotation to it, and we decided to change. And I've got to be honest, you know, here at Deminage, we've got some pretty seasoned staff. We've got some people that have been around the traps. They're long in the tooth, world-class, what you'd call a collector, I now call a debt manager. They're good at what they do. And they were worried that the language change would cause us commercial problems. But we got to the point we agreed uh, to change. And mate, we, we haven't looked back. I got a customer survey results back yesterday and the comments of some people show they've had excellent customer service. And, and you know, so this is a debt recovery company that's using language that promotes excellent customer service. And that's through the use of language. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So the, re the reason I was grinning, Mark, is, is back in 2001, I worked for the tax authority in the UK and they moved, I was a frontline collector at the times, and they moved yep. away from, from using the language of, of debtor and started using customer. And at the time, we, we all sat there on the front line going, well, we're the tax authority. They haven't really got a choice, have they, about who, who they're going to go and pay their tax to. It's got to be us. So, well, I know if we call it on customers, but it, it opens up a completely new world of thought. So it opens up customer journeys, customer journey information, customer satisfaction, voice of the customer. And you start thinking about your entire population as, as more of a partner because they, they have to be a partner, right? You, you've got a transaction in every debt. You've got a transaction that needs to be closed. The only person who can close it is the customer. So why would you scare them away? And we know through behavioral insights that it does scare people away. And it, I guess it goes straight to the core of, of one of my sayings, which I'm, I'm kind of no, known for the, the sound bites, but actually there's, there's a whole branch of thinking under, underneath each one. So one of my sayings is, is that debt isn't about numbers. It's about people, behaviors, and circumstances. And I, you know, I, I kind of take issue okay. with yeah. the old Ben Franklin quote that nothing is certain except death and taxes. I, I think it is. It's death and transactions. We're transactional beings. You know, even yeah. if you yeah. work, you, you live off the grid, you've got a transactional manner with, with, with nature, with, you know, your, your environment. And when you think about it, like I say, debt is just an incomplete transaction. So it resonates both with, I think, the, the work that our regulator has done uh, alongside a campaign that went off in the UK called Stop the Debt Frets, mm -hmm. which looks like it's about to successfully see our Consumer Credit Act of 1974 be repealed and the contents of that legislation to move across into the realm of the regulator, where it will be able to enjoy a higher level of continuous improvement as, as best practice shifts over time. But at the moment, you know, there's, there's stuff in there that means you have to send shouty capital all red text at people and and all it does is disengage people further you know you you, yes, you want to be I've saying seen that the other the unintended consequences, you know, um, it, it, yeah, yeah, I agree totally. Got some some really good behavioural insight studies that that show, you know, what one of the one of the key things is is the messenger and and how you portray yourself as a messenger. Because if people don't like the way you portray yourself, they're less likely to engage with you. And, and so we we've seen this actually. If you if you can prime the customer, which is another part of behavioural insights, by saying, hey, look, from you don't have to tell them that you've got the data that supports this, but you can say, if you want to set up a three month time 
time to pay, then on repayment plan, then scan this QR code in the letter. If you want to set up a six month, scan this one. If you want to talk to us via web chat about having longer to repay than that, then scan this one. And actually what you're doing is you're telling the, the customers what the outcome of the conversation can be before they've even had to go into the conversation. As you take away yes. all, all that mystery and fear from it and the engagement rates just go through the roof. Yes, so, and, that, and that's relying on our understanding, our innate and learned experience that most of the people do just want to know how they can pay it back. And, and sorry, just while you're talking, I was thinking about the just this discussion on the customer. By us referring to it, it's actually worked back into the vendor. So the vendors no longer, well, they're starting to no longer look at it there bad detours it's bad customers and, and we've just become an extension of good customer service so the, the, on, on that medieval language piece yeah it's, it's great that we're moving uh, past it and I'm glad you sort of concur with that because it, it is a bugbear yeah we, we, without a doubt and and you know we, we've also got you you mentioned the, the, the mental health aspect we, we've got really clear evidence for the links between mental health and finance in the UK so our Royal College of Psychiatrists found that 50% of people with debts also have a mental health condition and 25% of people with a mental health condition so as a separate group are also in debt which points to both debt related mental health and mental health related debt to the point where we now have even a, a debt and mental health evidence form in the UK that your doctor can sign for you so that you're recognised by all creditors and, and debt advisors uh, financial mentors as, as needing a different treatment path or a, a little bit of additional support really and, and then what do you do do you present that at the time of lending or is it registered on your credit report or is it just something you use when you're liaising with people like myself? Yes, uh, it's, it's, it's more more for, for when people are liaising with, with somebody like you. The key fact of the matter is, Mark, that people don't think so much about the, the mental health aspect when they're borrowing and, and nor, nor do creditors. It becomes an issue more when the, either the debt has got on top or through some other life event, um, like you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, relationship breakdown or redundancy has led to mental health and actually people then feel unable to deal with that debt or or actually you, you know it, the mental health issue is what's created the debt because they then go borrowing and, exactly. and spending yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a symptom of it's a symptom of and we see that we actually um, just to segue it a little bit we actually have a debt relief program where if, if someone not even necessarily provides evidence but if one of my one of my staff think based on their wisdom experience that there were those issues relating to the creation of the debt we have a policy where we can and, and most often do write the debt off we also so, and this will track into my next piece on financial mentors. If, if, if we can refer someone to a mentor and the mentor advises us of such and a variety of other things, yeah, we actually just write the debt off. We, we believe it's in the best interest of society to write it off. And the cynics will say, well, yes, but you know, you've, you've got so much debt. But the reality is I could quite easily collect it. Uh, but we choose to write it off to get this person up on their financial feet because it's there. And, and I remember you and I have talked about suicide statistics in the UK, which were horrific. And I've since read uh, a couple of research papers on self-harm and periods of austerity. And if New Zealand is mimicking the UK, and we have no reason to think it won't, in terms of self-harm due to debt, we, we've got a bloody problem here. We, we've got a problem and, and we need to fix it yeah and, and you know we're i want to i want to say fortunate to have the data we're, we're unfortunate to have the problem that the data shows but we we only have that because the the nhs the national health service in in the uk commissions once every seven years what's called the adult psychiatric morbidity report so so in, in, in other words what are psychiatric factors that lead lead to people's deaths and a, a great think tank policy institute over here the money and mental health policy institute did some analysis 
analysis on that, and they shared with me their, their methodology. And I, I had some, some some clever people, not not like me, but some some people who actually know what they're doing with numbers, look at it and say, actually, Steve, you, you know, the, these the, the, the methodology is good. They, they could have overstated it and they could have understated it, but this is probably about where it ends up. And uh, you know, the, the the numbers you and I spoke about were four hundred thousand people a year in the UK who consider taking their own lives as a result of being indebted, and a hundred thousand actually uh, attempt it. Now, we don't have 100,000 people a year dying fr- from suicide as a result of debt, but just, just the fact that people were in a bad enough place with debt, did they even entertain the thought, is more than enough. Oh, I, I agree. And it's definitely driven some uh, conversations here and some learnings here. Well, I'm, I'm actually talking to a couple of different universities about getting some research done here so we can look at it. And then I can give the research to the community. Like There's learnings off it. You, we, we collectively need to do something about that. And I think these conversations and softer, fairer approaches and a code, a <laughs> code of conduct, you know, we, we'll get there. And, you know, if we only stop one person thinking about it, we're better than we were. Yeah. And, you know, even within now, I know, you know, for, for example, one of one of the global platform providers has, has plug-in modules and a couple of them address exactly sort of like some of the stuff that we've been talking about. So I know you can get a module for one of the platforms, The one of the leading providers of income and expenditure software in the UK, which uses what we call in the UK, our standard financial statement, which is the gold standard standards. In other words, the INE form developed with creditors, debt advisors and government and accepted to be best in class. It uses that. And if it becomes apparent through the income and expenditure form that people would benefit from free debt advice, there's another module that you can add on that will do a warm handover directly from the income and expenditure software straight into one of the most well-known free debt advice uh, financial mentor agencies in the UK. So uh, for, for us now, you know, that that sort of the, the advice is, is so much part of the debt resolution journey we, we couldn't imagine life without it anymore no no I, and i like that warm handover idea this actually probably gets me to my, my next piece on on financial mentors that we work really closely with financial mentors we uh, you know i travel up and down the country meeting ones especially in rural areas that that may not have had access to someone you know at my level within a big company and we share ideas and they understand processes so i, I think the first thing i want to say in new zealand our financial mentors have to be seen as world class and their commitment and application. They're not licensed and, and most don't have professional qualifications, but they still do a, a massively good job. They, they do have a uh, recognised leadership body, and, and I've mentioned previously, uh, I, I think they're MIA. Uh, I actually call them the hermit kingdom. Uh, and they, they, in my opinion, they don't engage much. But, you know, the, the people at the street level, you know, at the tip of the spear, they, they do a marvellous job. We, we have several operators in our collection strategy or debt management strategy where we are referring people constantly to mentors. We we hand out documentation when we do community or face-to-face visits, referring people either to a, a free free number or, or a local person. You know, some people like dealing locally, some people like 0800 numbers. We, As I said, we openly provide debt relief or debt write-off for people engaging with mentors. But I guess, I, I guess what I need to do is understand why people won't, they still won't engage. And, and, and you and I, we understand people are embarrassed and, and things like this. But if I think if we understood it better and if we applied our collective horsepower 
to getting people to engage, we, we'd have better results. Now, example, we put a lot of horsepower into getting people to engage with us to pay the debt. I think, you know, and I'm trying to put as much thought and, and interaction to try and get people to engage more with mentors. And, and it's interesting, uh, there was a report out in New Zealand last week in New Zealand, and I don't know how it looks in the UK, twice as many women engage with mentors as men. Uh, a couple of reasons, women by and large, in New Zealand anyway, if they're living on uh, beneficiary incomes, quite often have children, so they have higher earnings, so they obviously have higher debt. But I, I'm just wondering if the idea that men don't engage because they don't have as much debt is wrong. Maybe men don't engage because there's all these things around men's mental health we need to understand. So, you, you know, uh, I think I need to understand why, and it's a bit of a lone voice at the moment. Why don't people pick up the phone and speak to a mentor and get free wraparound financial advice and, and any other services? Yeah, sort of that's what I'm struggling with at the moment there in in the UK and I, and actually I believe the the this organisation operates in New Zealand as well. Tell tell me if I'm wrong, Mark. But Christians Against Poverty Definitely. is uh, yes. So so you know they they've done a a lot of research in in the UK and and find you know mo most people don't engage with debt advice until that that sort of three years past the point when they should have. And they 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 put some brilliant I say I say brilliant in inspirational you know things like that the people like you and I can learn from videos up on YouTube and. You, you know, uh, actual customers, real customers who who've been been filmed talking about their experience after they come out the other side of it. And there's there's one I, I, I can't forget it. It had me in tears the first time I read it. It's it's Neville's story, and this guy Neville was talking about the fact how he had a couple of kids and 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 his wife, kids are teenagers. He was talking about the fact you know they they slipped into debt. How he then felt like a failure because he wasn't there to provide for the family. You know the, the sort of old school thinking about. Uh, Additional gender roles within a relationship and actually because all the debt was in his name if he wasn't there anymore then the family would be scot-free not thinking about his own value and what he brings to the to the family but just thinking if you eliminate me you eliminate debt and therefore was was thinking down the suicide route and i, I think you know stories stories like that are shocking so trying to get people to debt advice is it it, sh it should be all of our ambition within the industry when it's needed and i, I think let's be really clear it's not about being sort of dewy-eyed and, and bleeding heart pink and fluffy snowflakes it's no, about no, no, no. It's, it's about setting affordable repayment plans with lower breakage rates which means lower costs for the business higher levels of repayments and less stress on the individual involved they're actually lifting themselves or being lifted out of the burden of debt, which is is a, a great thing for everybody. Like you said earlier, most people do want to pay back. They just can't at that moment in time. Yeah, and I think it's not only the burden of debt, because remember, a lot of the people will pay off over a long period of time. So the cynics will say, well, just starting the repayment plan doesn't change their life at all. But you and I know, and you'll have data to prove it, I'm sure, just dealing with the problem. Just speaking to someone, maybe entering into a repayment plan, maybe talking to Mark Francis and debt managers and knowing that you've got a little bit of a payment holiday, that's enough to relieve that weight. So it's it's not even necessarily about getting it paid. It's about owning your life, life mastery, having your finances under control, knowing that you know the phone's going to stop going because you've now got an independent arbiter of truth, your you, you, you financial mentor there acting on your behalf. That in itself is enough to remove a lot of the mental health issues, the misuse of drugs issues, blah, 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 that all develop as a result of this difficult debt piece. So, you know, again, I'm determined to, to throw the full weight of the business into getting more people or encouraging more people because 
they're all autonomous, but getting that that argument out, you're better off if you do this. And, and anyone that thinks it can't be done, I don't know about you, but many years ago, you know, there was campaigns here in New Zealand on men's health because chaps my age and, and, and possibly your age, we don't like going to the doctors. And, you know, there was there was campaigns saying, you've got to go to the doctor. If you're a middle-aged man, you've got to go to the doctor. And men started going, men started talking. And once we start talking, that's when the good things happen. And, and you know, keep going down that way. Keep building trust with the mentors that see me as an extension of them. They're an extension of us. The main stakeholder, the customer, they, they remove from that burden of uh, difficult debt. So, yeah, that, that's that's another thing that <laughs> gets me going. When when you were over in the UK, Mark, you and I spoke about this briefly, uh, and I, I think I think it bears repeating. So what you just said there, you know, around you shining a light on getting men to go to the doctor, and there's a campaign around it, and it results in more men going to the doctor. And then if you if you think about, you know, I, I was in the the pub a few months ago and talking to a mate of mine who's a, a, a millennial. Good lord, he's, he's in his late thirties. His late thirties now. The millennials grew up, and I'm not quite sure when that happened. He's a plasterer and, and works on a building site and, and I said to him how, how are you doing mate you alright and he said oh he says yeah not too bad he said but me, me mental health ain't been great lately could you imagine 30 years ago you and I stood in the pub having that conversation it just we wouldn't, wouldn't have, have happened done it. And, and to our own detriment too you know and I carry the the bruises and scars of being of that generation and uh, you know I guess you do as well and, and you know I, I actually make sure and all the people in this company, at least, they've always got it. If they've got me, they've got someone they can talk to because it's tough. Life can get tough. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, and you know, but I think for me, you know, we've had a, a long term campaign on that very issue on on mental health. And now people, you know, like 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 my mate will t- stand up and talk about it. And that, that for me says, well, in which case we needed that campaign on debt. And and people will start talking about debt more openly if we make it something that they're allowed to talk about. And I think that's exactly what you're doing in New Zealand at the moment, Mark. You're making it okay for people to start talking about debt. Yeah, normalise it. Debt exists. Difficult debt exists. Life happens. Let, let's just get on with it. Work out a repayment plan. Tell me if you can't and, and get on with the good things. And there's lots of good things. So you're... Your sort of your your final point that you wanted to to get onto, Mark. If, if we if we've covered enough, the rest of it was around the paying back. Yeah, and and, and I guess at the end of all this, you know, I, I've I've my my job. I I buy debt and I, and I collect debt, and uh, you know, I ask people that are in debt to to pay. Debt's debt in my, in my books, and and it, you know, goods were supplied or money borrowed. This is the old fashioned me coming out a little bit. Promises are made, uh, contracts signed. There's there's a moral obligation to do what you can, provided the lending's been legal and fair and all of that. But the assumption is it's all good, and legislatively here we're we're assured of that. And I think we all intuitively know what I'm talking about here. And and I just I sort of see a problem today a little bit, and I do want to keep this non-contentious. But we do need to talk about personal responsibility, and and I guess um, we do need to keep in our conversations that paying back debt's the right thing to do. And 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 you and I know. Most people want to, but, you know, if it's to help people find easier way to pay it, like we do, like Aram encourages their clients to, to develop systems that do, as professionals, we still need to keep this piece in the conversation. And at the same time, you know, we remind everyone that debt's a society problem. 
Yeah, it, it, it very much so is. I was I was drafting something earlier tonight, Mark, and I was looking at the way the way you know the, the state of the UK economy at the moment, and it, kind of where you put your, your starting marker for this issue is is a fairly arbitrary matter. But if you look back to sort of two thousand and eight and the, the global financial crash, and then in the UK the, the sort of incremental policy measures that followed as a result of that ten years of, of government austerity, cap it off with with the pandemic, and and then put a the living prices on top of it people have been stretched for a long time and we we need to adapt to that and be able to deal with it and that doesn't mean doesn't mean not paying back that means taking proportionate action on everyone and i i, I get called out sometimes in the uk because people think that i want to give everybody an easy ride and yet the truth is oh, the really? same logic uh, yeah yeah you know the, the, the thing is that the same logic as identifying the people who are vulnerable as a segment that, and, and putting them on a differentiated treatment path that also applies to the people who need to pay back and putting them on a differentiated treatment path and making sure that we use the data where 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 we can and, and the data is good and and set boundaries you know cl- clearly explain to people what's ex- acceptable and not and quite frankly not for me not collecting from people who can afford to pay actually it disadvantages that person in the long run because the longer they hold their debt the more at risk they are exactly. of falling into problem debt if life throws them another curveball uh, so exactly exactly yeah, so, so I always try and uh, have conversations where I still re- remind that that's the you know the point that we're coming from. And, and you just re- reminded me uh, of something when you mentioned that you know people think that you're looking you know you might be advocating a free ride. I actually got called uh, a maverick a couple of weeks ago by a very senior manager of a large Australian collection agency. And I thought I thought to myself, he's talking about Top Gun. And then I, I realised no, he wasn't talking about Top Gun. He sort of meant you know a guy that's on the on the periphery. And, and I thought to myself afterwards. If Maverick means you're trying to leave little collateral damage in the execution of what's a legitimate and and difficult job, like run, running a, a debt management company nicely, if that if that's if that's a Maverick, I'll take it. So yeah, I've, I've, I've given my name, uh, I've given myself that uh, nickname and my thinking on all of this, Maverick. I take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't given as one. Mark Maverick Francis, thank you very much. Yeah, why not? Eh? I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you found it as insightful as I did. If you want to hear more great content from Aram and Just, then please subscribe on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts or follow us on LinkedIn so that we can let you know when the next one is out. Until then, if you'd like to discuss any of the issues that were raised in this podcast, then please get in touch with me either on LinkedIn or drop me an email to stephen.coppard at aram.co.uk. Once again, my thanks to Mark Francis and Debt Managers for investing the time to talk to us, and it's goodbye for now.